we are just a week away from wrapping up this series. So as a friendly reminder, the big idea for the series that we felt was timely with the pandemic and the election was Peter's reasoning for writing this letter. So he wrote this letter over close to 2,000 years ago to encourage followers of Jesus that hope in our true home empowers us to live Jesus-centered lives in our temporary home. So our end game is not this life. Our end game is a life to come as God creates the new heavens and new earth and we'll be spending forever with him. So let me just take a moment to sort of preface that today will be a bit heavy and I'll do my best to create some light moments. Some of what we'll discuss will be heavy for one of two reasons. One, while we're still in this pandemic, it may be personal to you. Maybe you lost a job or maybe you lost someone close to you. Your feelings may bring the tension as you watch and listen as we read Peter's letter. A second thing is, although culture would agree with the definition of suffering, culture can actually create suffering. Culture is quick to cancel those who have opposing views. Um, some of you have been on the receiving end of being canceled by a family member, a friend, a coworker, maybe a neighbor because of your stance on an issue. And it has caused you to suffer. So my hope is by the end of today, the end of this message, that you are inspired by Peter's insight and advice to walk through whatever suffering you're going through. It really is. Here are uh, some, some bad examples of what we would call and consider suffering, especially as I hear people tell me that they've had a bad day. You know, they've suffered. They had a walk in from the upper parking lot at Costco, or maybe their Keurig stopped working in the morning. Or maybe they had to get up early in the morning to head and 95 was terrible. Or maybe they were on a Zoom call, this important meeting, and the internet went out. Yeah, first world problems, right? Well, let's start off by defining suffering as that, so that everyone's sort of on the equal plane, for the, everyone's starting from the same place. Suffering is being or remaining in pain or distress. So here would be some examples of suffering based on that definition. You're returning from overseas with PTSD. You're in, uh, unemployed or looking for work. Maybe you are losing sleep because of physical pain. Maybe you're disabled. Maybe you lost a family member. Maybe you are going through separation and a divorce and you didn't want it. Maybe you're a student and you're unable to focus on this virtual learning. You wish to be back in the classroom. Maybe you're on the verge of losing your home. Kids we know around this area are being abused and even at times kidnapped. Look, those are forms of suffering. I believe there are seven forms of suffering that we experience at one time or another. And some of us may be experiencing a few of these things at the same time. The first type of suffering would be creation suffering. Everything created is negatively affected by sin. That's why we have natural disasters, disease, death. The, the second thing would be collateral suffering. We suffer as other people hurt us. There's abuse, there's oppression, there's trauma. And then there's collective suffering. We're belonging to a group of people who are suffering. Maybe like, if we look back in the, in, in the uh, Old Testament, you have Israel. And as kings went, so did the people. Same thing with the church. When we look in Acts, and then there's compassion suffering. Maybe you're watching someone else go through 
suffering. Maybe you're a counselor. Maybe you're a medical professional. Maybe you're a first responder. And you're seeing people get hit hard with suffering. Then there's consequential suffering. Those are the, the results of us actively going against God. And we would call that sin. And then there's cultural suffering. Culture opposes God. And culture opposes the church. And we are called to trust God above all else. And that means we will be opposed at times. Then you have the precaution suffering. It's the loving parent providing a painful consequence to prevent a greater pain down the road. Look, suffering affects all of us. And some more than others. What if suffering was more than just a good thing or a bad thing? But what if suffering was a necessary thing? Peter helps us to do one of three things. Expect suffering, understand suffering, and prepare for suffering because suffering is coming. Suffering is a guarantee. So let's jump in. The first thing is to expect suffering. Peter writes, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. And so Peter is is really trying to reason that some husbands, remember going talking about the wives and slaves, slave owners, may harm if, they're not going to harm you if you're eager to do good. But if they end up suffering, wives and slaves, God will de- deliver them. God will not abandon them. God will be with them. God will help them. So it's interesting that in Peter's tone, it comes across that suffering should be expected. Remember, the focus of this letter is on our forever home, not on this temporary home. It helps, hopefully, his readers be encouraged that they don't have to be afraid of what husbands and slave owners could do to them. He continues, he says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. Our attention must be on Jesus as the leader of our life, more so than worrying or fearing what can happen to us. It's important to understand that God has placed you in this world at this time. He knows the conditions of this world. He knows the conditions of this culture. As Jesus is a leader of your life, he is with you and reminds you that his grace is enough to trust him over the threats. His grace works best when you feel unable to push through. Peter is encouraging his readers to pursue God with everything they have before they go to their forever home. And this type of lifestyle is different, and, and people may ask about this hope. And, and Peter reminds them to be ready to explain why they live differently, like doing what is right when it's not popular, or doing good when it's not well-received. Basically, the question is, how are you able to trust in Christ when life is not going the way that you want it to go, or you're praying for it to go? Jenny and I, we've had people ask us when we went through the adoption process. I suppose we label it under maybe the creation suffering category. I was counseling those questioning because of their infertility. 
they would come in and they were questioning their faith. And we were honest in our struggle and we told them that we dealt with doubt, but yet we had peace through the struggle. And we explained that we believed, we were convinced that it was Jesus giving us the peace to push through and trust him through each step. Our hope is that God, our hope was that God was providing a, a glimpse of what a renewed heaven and earth would look like as he was doing something with our suffering. It was not going to waste as he opened up an opportunity for us to adopt. And can I tell you, we would never, we would never take that back. Peter continues, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear that if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. There are examples of Christians doing things that went against the Roman culture, but they did it. And they did it in a way that it wasn't overbearing, it wasn't arrogant. Augustine, who was an early church leader, he, he talked about what it was like living in the Roman Empire and that his mom had this winsome and gentle approach to her unbelieving husband. And eventually this quiet and winsome approach won her husband over and eventually won Augustine over. Jenny uh, and I, it, it's been interesting talking with our neighbors. Our, our neighbors have said to us on several occasions that they know where we stand by how we conduct our lives. How we, and they, they said, you guys are just quiet people. You, you live quiet lives. And this has opened up opportunities for, for us to share what we believe. Look, our conscience is so important to how we respond to suffering. The, the word conscience in here, it means to know. See, our conscience is like a window that lets in the light of truth. As Christians, God's truth. See, all truth is God's truth. Some of us allowing truth to come through that's different than God's truth. Our conscience relies on the knowledge of truth. See, notice Peter says to keep your conscience clear. See, when your window is dirty, it makes it harder for the light knowledge to come through and it's up to us to keep it clear we have to keep it clean see we keep it clean by reading the bible by praying by allowing other believers to speak into our lives and by doing what he says so how does a clear conscience help when we're suffering i believe in a couple ways one it provides us courage provides us courage to do what's right and recognize that God is in control for our good, even when it doesn't make sense. I also believe that it provides us peace to, within to face the suffering without. I believe it also removes fear of what others may say about us or do to us. See, God may allow us to suffer even when we're doing good. And, and this is the tension. This really is the tension with Christianity. As we become more and more post-Christian in America, our culture will accuse us and lie about us unfairly. Culture's truth is at times in conflict with God's truth. And as we follow Jesus, we do not create problems. Please don't miss this. We reveal them. 
So this leads us to understand suffering. So Peter's like, hey, expect it. And the second thing is to understand it. So Peter provides us a great example of someone who suffered unjustly and still remained faithful to God. And I think we all know who that person is. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Wow. Jesus died for our sins. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. Not his own sins, because he didn't have any sin. The worst thing happened to the best person so that guilty people could become forgiven people. It's only through Jesus' suffering that you and I have access to new life. He continues, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. It's interesting how Peter addresses this with his readers. Obviously, there was suffering happening, or he wouldn't have brought it up. So we'd assume Peter would handle it maybe with a little more sympathy, right? But he seems to go, hey, it kind of expected. I love what uh, Paul David Tripp writes. He says, sympathy is the appropriate response to suffering, but danger there is too much focus on suffering has the potential to magnify its impact on the way you think about yourself, God, and your suffering. Paul David Tripp in his book, Suffering, is right on cue. It's important to remind ourselves that suffering isn't our identity. Our identity is in Christ. We approach suffering like Jesus did, God allowing us to suffer is not a burden we carry alone. He provides us the strength to go through it. He provides you the strength to go through it. He provides me the strength to go through it. There's always a purpose behind suffering. We may not always know why, but we know that he is doing what is best for us. We do not live on why, we live on how. We don't live on why, we live on how. Then Peter sums up that not only we're to expect, not only are to be to understand, but we are to prepare for suffering. He writes this. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Be glad. See, during the time Peter wrote this, Nero was the emperor. There was a lot of persecution of Christians in ways that we'll never understand because we are in a Christianized nation. And what he was doing, he was encouraging them. That's why he said, be glad. That it shows that they were partners with Jesus who suffered unjustly and innocently. He was saying, look, you are in good company. He mentioned this so that they wouldn't be surprised. This is something that should bring joy in their lives because they see God using them. They see God at work in their lives. 
Look, as we become more and more post-Christian, we'll experience this form of persecution. Now, perhaps not dying for our faith, but I do believe that as we follow Jesus, we will be devalued because of our faith. He sort of ends this section of the letter. He says, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Regardless of how you're suffering, regardless of how you're suffering, it is a great reminder that God will never fail you. I love what Tripp writes again in his book, Suffering. He says, he knows the condition of the world he's placed you in and how those conditions impact you. Instead of criticizing you for being weak, he comes near and reminds you that his grace is up to the task. And in fact, does its best work in the moments when you feel most unable. I don't know about you, but I know that I needed that today. See, for some of us, it's a moment to be honest uh, that we struggle with doubt. Attempting to be free from the struggle has prevented you to be real, the opportunity to influence others. So be real about your doubt. For some of us, it's a moment to recommit ourselves to do right, regardless of the cost. For some of us, we've compromised on truth because we didn't want to be canceled. For others of us, we fear being canceled by friends, by family, by coworkers, by neighbors, And the tension is that, man, I have to live with them if I'm canceled by them, so I'm afraid to even say anything. Look, for all of us, it's an opportunity to surrender to his grace as our strength to face our suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even though we don't know at times why you allow suffering, we know how to move forward in that suffering because of you. You gave Jesus as the perfect example. He was unjustly and he was innocent in his suffering. But yet, he was able to overcome. And Father, as followers of Jesus, We have his spirit to overcome. And so, Father, I'm asking that you will give us the courage, no matter what type of suffering we are going through, that we can rely on your strength, we can rely on your peace, we can rely on your joy to see us through. Father, help us to focus not on the why, help us to focus on the how. Father, we ask that those who of us in groups, that we don't forsake not going to a group, that we are in a group, that we stay committed to our group, because we really do need each other on this journey. Father, I pray for those who are yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, that they would be inspired. They would be inspired that the worst thing happened to the best person so that we could have life. God, help them to take the the next step and believe in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.